Hey, yo, welcome back. God's Word During Exile. We're back after a, what, two-week hiatus? Is that what we've been going for? Two weeks? Did you miss us? Let us know at God's Word During Exile, all one word, at gmail.com. But we're happy that we're back. This is Mike Hussey over here, Ben Baker here, Matt Dubbs here. There they are. And uh, we're a group of pastors that get together to study God's Word. And right now, we are studying the book of Revelation, and we're at a milestone. Because Mike has lofty aspirations that we are going to finish chapter 21 today. We're going to roll into the final chapter. It's happening. And in fact, when when Matt reads, he's going to read the first five verses of chapter 22 to propel us forward into the final chapter of the book of Revelation. The final chapter. <laughs> I'm going to do some magic real quick. Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) But still, where'd the lighter fluid come from? Oh, man. Wow, that that hits. That hits. I'm liking that. Good job. Um, So, yeah. So, we're happy to be back. And we are excited to study God's word all together and with you. Um, Put down in the comments, what have you been doing for the last two weeks? I know that some of my one of my listeners was in Hawaii for the last ten days. So now, once oh. she gets back, she get she got back last night, and what is she welcomed back with? A new God's word during exile. What could be better from coming home from Hawaii than to bask in the gospel? Yeah, that makes it worth coming back, right? I would I would think the gospel in Hawaii would just probably be better. I don't know. I mean, is that a feeling that you're going off of, mm-hmm. or is that... It's not like you can watch us online from Hawaii, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Let's, let's have an episode from Hawaii. How about that? That's, that's a deal. And if you'd like to help support us getting to Hawaii, we don't have any way of you sending us money. No. Other than <laughs> it. <laughs> and we also have no way of getting there without <laughs> your help. So <laughs> it's true. It's so true. But if you'd like to send us to Hawaii, I'm sure all of us, well, our wives and kids might not be happy about it, but like we would probably go without them, right? Like if we were gifted four tickets to Hawaii, all, all paid for, we would probably just ditch our families and go, right? 100%. 100%. See, look, Ben's already halfway out the door. He's going to get his snorkel and flippers. <laughs> so if you would like to see Ben Baker in mm. snorkels and a flipper, <laughs> we would we would gladly... Uh, <laughs> One flipper, multiple snorkels. Uh, I don't know how that's going to work, but... Dual That's snorkels weird. and a single flipper. If you'd like to see pictures of that, all you need to do is send uh I don't know. That even I'm just like picturing a, a weird merman with like husks. <laughs> Two snorkels and one flipper. <laughs> Ben's a very good at the dolphin kick. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. See? My ben loves swimming. Well, he's, he's a pro at swimming. <laughs> Look at him now, right now. He's still thinking about snorkel. <laughs> We've lost Ben, uh, which is good because he's he's closing in prayer. So we'll hopefully we'll get him back by the time this is over. Oh. Uh, but I think that was a long enough intro. Uh, if you want the intros to get longer, email me, <laughs> exile at gmail.com. 
Uh, I would be happy to accommodate that. Or if you'd like, I could just call you up on the phone and give you one of our intros on your cell phone so that you could have it recorded for the rest of your life. I would be happy to do that. I'd group call and join for that. Yeah. I feel like maybe we're missing out on a demographic of making money. You know that thing, Cameo? You guys heard about Cameo? We're like mm. stars. So essentially what Cameo is, is like stars. Uh, you pay them an amount of money and they send you a video uh, happy birthday or congratulations or sympathy stuff. And they send it to you and you just pay them for it. And I feel like maybe the four of us are mm. missing an avenue, maybe a little side hustle for God's word during exile is uh, we should get on Cameo and wish people happy birthdays. I think that'd be pretty competitive. You know, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, Mike Natal, just See? right there. I think, I think my mom would buy one. I think that'd be about <laughs> the extent of it. I would like to let you guys know that while I was at Penn State, I was in an all-male acapella group. We were as good as it sounds. That's not the name of the group. The name of the group was called Dreamers, <laughs> but it was as good as we were. Um, and we had... Um, a fundraiser that was like a dating auction. All right. One of the individuals who was part of the dating auction was yours truly. Okay. Wow. But another person who was on it was the now NFL star kicker, Robbie Gould. Hmm. You will never guess who went for more money. <laughs> Robbie Gould. No. Me. Wow mistakes were made so i knew it I, I knew it. i look at him play and he makes kick after kick and i said but yet in a dating auction i still went for more than you granted if we did a dating auction now he would probably just crush me into oblivion but uh we're not talking about that we're talking about way in the past in my in my yeah. prime well when you got the voice of an angel yeah, but we need proof of this quartet so um why don't you provide that for us here before Ding too long? Ding dong, dealio. Uh, why don't why don't Mike you open us in prayer after the prayer while Matt's reading? I'll find a video of me singing. All right, sounds good. Let's pray. Father God, thanks for today, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity to once again jump into your Word and uh, hopefully finish off Chapter One of Revelation. Lord, thanks for the blessing that it's been to study your Word together so far. And I ask that you would just bless us again through your word. Show us our sin, bring us to repentance, point us to Christ, Lord, and strengthen our faith. Um, by your word, ready us for your service. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. So today we are going to be reading the end of Revelation 21 and the beginning of chapter 22. So if you do have your Bibles, you can open to Revelation 21, 22. And then we'll read all the way through verse five of the next chapter. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible today. This is the word of the Lord. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying 
shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb book of life. And now chapter 22. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bond servants will serve him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Here ends our reading. Thanks be to God. Uh, All right, you guys ready? Yeah. Brace yourselves. Seeing as you're getting proof of this, maybe you should sing the last line of uh, that we read. You know, ties into the all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll think about it. Yeah, I'll think about it. Okay, here we go. Um, Ralph, here it is. Where was wow, the dreamers? And I'm sorry, ladies, but he is married. There you go. But where was Robbie Gould, though? Proof. He's not in the group with us. I'm oh. saying we were in a dating auction, and one of the people to go in the dating auction was Robbie Gould, and then it was also me. And uh, there you go. No competition. Not when you got a voice like an angel right there. Are you impressed, Ben? Are you not entertained, Ben? Uh, And just glares. Just glares. (laughs) All right. So last, well, the last week we recorded, a couple weeks ago, um, we finished by talking about how verse 23, where it talks about the city having no sun or moon, that isn't really a like an astrological sort of uh, description of, of what's going on, but instead more about uh, being in the presence of God and in his, in the presence of his glory. Right. Uh, but that theme of light and it always being light kind of continues through our whole section, what we read in 21 and also what we read in, in chapter 22. Uh, there's another thing. I think it was in verse 25 that I wanted to kind of pull out just because it connected to the last thing we talked about. And, uh, and see what you guys think. There will be no night there. Should we see that phrase as there will actually not ever be a time to sleep or, or rest in the new heavens and the new earth? Or is it getting at some bigger or different point with that? Hmm. You stumped me. That's a good question. 
I mean, do you think it has something to do with that night is often talked about in the scriptures as uh, the time where evil is done, where under the cover of night, people live in open sin uh, because they think they're they're getting away with it. They think they're hiding. Uh, and, and we know naturally that's the time people tend to go out and, you know, drunkenness and carousing and whatever, you know, a lot of crime and, and nonsense happens at night. So it's something we know from experience in this world too, but the scriptures talk about it that way. Do you think that's kind of what it's getting at that, that this is a picture of a place of, you know, righteousness, upright walking, um, not living in sin. Yeah. That's what Ben's thinking there. I, I need the a thumbs up so. confirmation from Ben. Cause that's, that's what I was thinking. It was describing to kind of that, that play on, on light and darkness happens kind of throughout scripture talking about righteousness and wickedness. And so I think that's more of what's going on. I think, you know, maybe Ben would speak to this a little bit too. Like when we think of there's no night, it almost seems like there's no rest, but that would kind of, kind of contradict some of the things that came earlier in scripture, like God resting on the seventh day and the Sabbath being given to the people and, and rest is an, an important concept, even, um, even in, in, yeah, in, in lots of things. So I, I think that's not what we're looking at. Instead, it's, there's not going to be any wickedness or evil, right? And yeah, there's nothing sinful about needing sleep. So God created us. So there wouldn't be any. It's not as if uh, sleep was something that came after the fall and is a result of sin. <clears throat> and certainly what changed was the fact that we wear out in a different way because of the sweat of our brow fighting the thorns of the ground and you know, women having pain in childbirth and all the struggles that come with the fall and the curse. And so the level of exhaustion and stuff that we experience from all of those troubles is, is a different uh, thing than, than how we were created. But, <clears throat> but certainly the cycles of the day and God planning for us to rest is is good and and not necessarily connected and it's not connected in every way to the fall the so again there are certain things where we need extra rest or we have extra weakness because of the fall and the curse uh, and those things will be done away with well i jumped over a couple of things because that that idea of night kind of struck me. So let's, let's roll back to 24. Um, by that light, still talking about the glory of God and being in the presence of God, the nations are going to walk. Um, do you think that's kind of talking about the nations walking in righteousness as well, since we kind of made that connection with night? All right. So sorry, which uh, verse are you in here? 24. 24. I'm, I'm bouncing back and forth as much as possible yep. to keep everyone confused <laughs> so that we can't give any good answers to anything. Yeah, so the, I mean, in the scriptures, the the word of God is talked about as a lamp unto our feet, and so that 
that's a picture of God guiding us and keeping us from stumbling over things we can't see at our feet. And so it seems like, I mean, because walking is, um, is used as a way of referring to life. So living people, you know, walk. And when you, so you're living your life, but you're also, there's the picture of like on a journey then, and if it's dark or you can't see your way, you might trip in on some roots or rocks or step in a hole and twist your ankle or something. But with the light of God, you can walk um, safely and securely. So I think part of this is just that God is guiding and protecting us um, throughout the next life. And so it will be one without uh, stumbling and, and falling and such. Was there anything else to take from that that you guys thought of? Um, so there's a connection to Isaiah chapter 60. Pull that up here. So, first six verses. They arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations, nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come <clears throat> to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. And so you get some similar language there of the nations coming uh, to God and the light of God shining upon them. And um, Lou Brighton also makes a connection in his commentary to the coming of the Magi, um, mm -hmm. which he sees as kind of a preview of this, of the nations coming uh, to Christ. And so this is kind of the fullness of that, what, um, you know, looking to the new heavens and the new earth, that uh, God's intention for redemption has always been all, peoples all nations never one group of people only and so this is the the fullness of of that the fulfillment of that and it's cool to think about the magi then with the star guiding them to the messiah right and now we've got the light of the messiah forever and in full glory um and it's the, a thing for the nations to rejoice in. There's lots of language in this, in what we've read and what we looked at previously in chapter 21 about uh, the beauty of this place and it being for all the nations from all directions. And, and, uh, and so connecting with Isaiah 60, then that's a, a wonderful uh, rejoicing and gathering together radiance exaltation um as people come from afar so similar pictures there and um of course with jesus first coming we we see him inaugurating lots of the 
the end times things, but here we have now the full glory, the full realization of all of these things in the end. And, uh, and to think too, again, that all peoples are, are being drawn to be with the Lord. So, uh, or people from each a tribe and nation and area of the world. I really love that you brought up this passage in Isaiah here connected to Revelation because there, there are parts of this that as we read it, it's like you see, and it's very clearly fulfilled in that first coming of Jesus, right? Arise, shine, your light has come. We go to John chapter one, the light is coming into the world and the world did not know it, right? You've got Jesus pictured there coming into the world. Um, we have those prophecies about the, the, the nations coming to, to God, right? And we see that beginning to happen in like Acts where uh, with, the, with the sermon from Peter, right? And everybody can hear the gospel in their own world. So you see fulfillment there. And then you see it even more here in Revelation. And so many times when we hit these Old Testament prophecies um, about the Messiah, they, they end up finding their fulfillment in, in Christ and in his death and resurrection and also in, in his return. And we can't, we can't just leave them in the past and say, oh, that was about Jesus's first coming. No, it's, it's got more to say that connects us to Revelation and ties the whole story of God's plan of salvation together. So it's a really cool passage to bring in, Ben. Thank you. Yeah, and this is, uh, I don't know, apparently some people go some weird ways with with this. Um, it's not to suggest that, um, Was I'm just looking at a comment that uh, Lou Bright mentioned, some that think that, uh, that this means that there is kind of this eternal uh, distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Um, there are those that uh, would place themselves in, a, you know, I guess they would call themselves Messianic Jewish movements or traditions that uh, try to maintain this distinction between Jew and Gentile uh, into eternity. Um, and this is just really utter foolishness. Um, the distinction was only there for the purpose of bringing Messiah. Okay. It was never really truly about that as we've talked about numerous times. Um, you know, just as, I mean, we see this kind of reversal, you know, all the time. Right. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting. So I've been preaching through the book of Jonah for our Lent midweek services. And it's just so interesting because the guy who doesn't get it is the Jew and the people that get it are the Gentiles, right? The sailors get it. The Ninevites get it. Jonah. No, he's the rebel. He's the, and he's the real evil in the text that God is seeking to save Jonah from himself. Right. So here you have Jonah who has this great, you know, tradition of, you know, God gave to his, you know, his people specifically the law and Sinai. He gave him, gave them the sacrifices and so on. Like God gave them, you know, more revelation of himself than he gave the rest of the world <clears throat> at that time. And he doesn't get it. But these Gentiles that have very little revelation of God, they get it. Right. And we have all these kinds of, 
you know, reversals uh, that we see in the, in the scriptures. And Jesus will say the same thing, you know, like he'll speak to the Pharisees and he'll say, you know, that in the new heavens and the new earth, you know, people are going to come from, you know, north and south and east and west, and they're going to sit at table with Abraham while the sons of the kingdom are in the outer darkness, right? So it's not about what's my bloodline, right? So John is certainly not uh, describing by these terms some uh, permanent remaining distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Um, but we remember that in the new heavens and the new earth, you know, we are, you know, all these nations, again, John has already used that language earlier, right? The great multitude that no one can number, people of every tribe and language, nation and tongue, are the new Jerusalem, are the people of God, are the city of God, right? And so, um, and this would, again, doesn't matter what your, what your bloodline is. Others have gone in, in other weird directions, too, and trying to say this is universalism. Like, oh, this just tells us that everyone is going to be saved. Um, but Scripture clearly does not teach us that. And so the very clear uh, understanding then with the rest of, you know, Scripture's testimony is that these, these nations, when God speaks to the nations, he's speaking of all those who are saved. So these are the glorified saints. And Lou Brighton makes an interesting note, too, here that the language of the kings... What did he say? Okay. I just thought this was interesting. The kings of the earth is used. This is right. These are Brighton's words is used to convey the idea that not all these powers of the earth were one for Satan, but the lamb too, won many of their number for himself. So that's just a really interesting thought because it, because we probably would tend to think that typically, you know, the powers of this earth, those in authority and so on will typically be those that are used by Satan or allied with, with him and against God is Christ. But um, Brightly is suggesting that that the language here is used that just to tell us too that there will be those uh, among those who are saved will be kings and emperors and rulers and so on and so forth. And this kind of this fits pretty well too. You know, you think when uh, when uh, God is speaking to Saint Paul and he tells him, you know you're going to go and testify before kings and emperors and all this stuff, you know, and, and yes, he shows Paul how much he's going to suffer for the sake of the gospel, but it just kind of makes you wonder, you know, what did finally happen to some of those guys, like the various Herods and whatnot that heard St. Paul preach, you know, we're not told that they definitively rejected Christ. In the end. I mean, we don't know. We won't know until, the day of resurrection, but it'd be just kind of interesting to think about, you know, what surprises there may be, you know, and, you know, and Paul too tells us the whole reason why things didn't work out for him to get released before he went to Rome is because God wanted him to go to Rome to preach before Nero and the Romans. Right. So anyways, it's just, it's just good for us to think about too, like, you know, um, that there will be Kings and, and emperors and rulers in the new heavens and the new earth as well. So that was just kind of a neat thought that the Lou Brighton was bringing out there in his commentary. You know, you talk about those surprises, Ben. Uh, I heard from someone mm. that we might be surprised to even find that there are non-Lutherans in heaven when we get there. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I've i been going through Jonah as well for our Lenten services, and we just finished up last night. Um, and uh, it was shocking to consider at at the end of the book there that 
uh, we are left with a cliffhanger and we don't know if Jonah ends up repenting and trusting in the Lord because he ends the last thing we have from Jonah is him despising God's mercy. And, uh, you know, when, when we, the scriptures tell us when we don't forgive the sins of others, God doesn't forgive our sins because that shows our, our pride and our lack of repentance and faith. And so Jonah is left, uh, in, in the record there, um, with his situation in his heart and between him and the Lord unresolved. And, and really we are left with, like Ben said, thinking that he is the real evil that needs to be dealt with at the end of the book. And, and ironically, then the people he doesn't want to forgive are maybe the ones that we're going to be meeting in heaven, the Ninevites. And to think these absolutely horrible, wicked people we're probably going to be breaking bread with them at the marriage supper of the lamb and the sailors, those pagan sailors that had been crying out to these false gods at the beginning. Maybe they're going to be there with us too. It looks like that's the case that they were worshiping Yahweh and the Ninevites too, uh, calling out and trusting in his mercy. And so, um, so unexpected, and it's honestly kind of alarming too, as not just a church member and one who claims to be a Christian, uh, one of God's people, but even as a pastor, like the New Testament prophet, right? It's a wake up call for us as pastors too, to realize that just because we've had God's word and just because we've preached God's word and said, thus says the Lord, doesn't mean that we are okay just because of those things, we actually need to be living in repentance over our sins and trusting in the mercy of God uh, and, and his forgiveness. Um, because without that, uh, we are not only angry, bitter people, um, but we are also at odds with God. And, and if we resist his mercy and despise it, then we do not have it. And I wonder if, a lot of what uh, this, like considering all these these kinds of things, you know, maybe the real surprise should be that we are there, right? Right, because we tend to think, um, like, maybe you just you mentioned, you know, the the Ninevites, the Assyrians, and and yeah, by by earthly standards, and so by any standards, yeah, they were a very cruel and wicked people. Um, but that, but again, like thinking about Jonah, it wasn't those cruel, wicked people that really were the, the issue, the, the real evil in that account is the evil in Jonah's heart. And, mm -hmm. and we are all Jonah's, right? And so maybe the real surprise is that we're at the table with yep. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you know, maybe the, I don't know, maybe the Ninevites will be like, how did you get here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the, the point just to be that we, we really want to guard against, you know, this comparative stuff that, that says I'm better than so-and-so and just recognize that, that without the grace of, of Christ, 
without the shed blood of Christ, that we are all so destitute in our wickedness that we don't deserve a bit of it. And so, Mm -hmm. so all of us from, from ourselves to, to the people we consider the greatest sinners, um, if we are at the table together in the presence of Christ, it is all the same grace and mercy of God. And none of us deserves any of it more than the other. And so, you know, you know, whereas Jonah, you know, his heart was hard against the, the Ninevites. And so I'm thinking that, you know, it's all well and good when God's grace and mercy is given to me, but not to those people, right? We really ought to rejoice whenever God's grace and mercy is given to, to anyone, uh, us as well, certainly. Um, but but when God is merciful to, to anyone, that should cause us great rejoicing. Like, and we could just, you know, take a case study, you know, just, just a thought experiment, you know, like, what would, what would we think? Just, you know, just imagine like, like a Hitler or a Stalin and say, we saw them at the Lord's table. Just, just think about that. Like, would that be a cause for rejoicing? Or if say we, say we discovered, you know, just again, just purely hypothetical, maybe, Maybe we discover an account, you know, where they confessed their sins and, and repented and trusted in Christ before they died, right? This is a thought experiment. What, what will we do with that? Will we be like, oh, they don't deserve that? Or will we say, what a gracious and merciful God. Praise God that he saved Hitler and Stalin and me, right? Mm-hmm. So, so just... You know, we don't want to get into the comparative stuff where we imagine ourselves less sinful uh, in God's eyes or somehow more deserving of his grace than anyone else. Yeah, we got to resist that thinking that, oh, somebody else needs to hear this message and repent. Somebody else is the one that needs God's mercy. Well, the, the sinners, the real sinners, they're those other people. No, it's me. Right. Nice. You guys pulled it full circle. You rejected universalism and showed that God's grace is for everyone. And Ben made the bold declaration that Hitler's definitely in heaven. So we can just move on from there and just see what happens with that. We're going to be so popular. (laughs) And how ironic that the Jew amongst us is the one to make that argument. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I never said definitively. No, I just said we don't know. I said that you said it definitively. But even with that, should we not hope that that's the case? Right. Like even just in that illustration, right? Would would that not be our? Should that not be our our heart? Right. That you know, please let it be so that in your mercy, even someone like Adolf Hitler repented before he died that he might not experience God's eternal wrath, but eternal life. Yeah. Like that should be our heart for, for people, right? Not that, Oh, they got what they deserved. Yeah. But may it be that God's mercy Mm -hmm. grabbed a hold of this person. Right. And think about if we, if we Hmm. don't, if we think that it's unjust that God shows mercy to those wicked sinners and we want him to be fair for what they have done, then imagine that God does that for us. 
And because then, you know, if God turns and says, okay, I'll give you what you deserve. Um, you want to stand on your own righteousness? Okay. But then you're going to be judged guilty and punished, right? And that's the thing is that when we live with gratitude and humility, recognizing what we really deserve and that God has offered to show us mercy, then we should desire to show mercy to other people and for God to show mercy to them as well, because we are just so grateful for what he has given to us. Um, and when we've truly experienced that love of God and mercy of God, then we would desire to, to show that to others as well. Probably without even knowing it, um, you guys have been talking about the, the missing bits we have from chapter 21, right? The gates of the city are never going to be shut. They're, they're, always, they're always open because there's no need of defense, no need of worry. Because then in 27, nothing unclean is ever going to enter into the city, nor anything detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's, that's what we've been talking about, right? On our own, we are all unclean, detestable, wicked, wretched, awful. But in Christ, if our name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, um, we are declared to be God's saints. We are forgiven. We are washed. We are redeemed. And we are welcomed, no matter what it is we have done the forgiveness of Christ is, is more than enough for us. Yep. And instead of detestable and false, we are called righteous, holy, true, uh, pure. And um, it's a beautiful thing. And to think too, that, that picture of the not needing to shut the gates. I mean, I don't know if any of you live in areas where you really are worried about people breaking into your home or anything like that. But if you live in a place where you don't feel safe with your door unlocked at night or anything, you can relate to what's going on with this, that, you know, the reason you lock your door at night is so that no one would come in and catch you unawares or hurt you or take your stuff. And the picture here is that there is no need to fear that you could sleep with your window open, no screen on it. No mosquitoes are going to come in and get you much less nobody's going to break into your home and hurt you or take your stuff. Um, well, at least is... if there are going to be mosquitoes, they're not going to be blood sucking. So they won't. <laughs> there you and go. If they are blood sucking, yeah. it won't be painful and you won't get itchy, itchy. Bones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's a great point, Matt, about, you know, locking, having to lock your doors to feel safe in certain places. I remember when I moved to Sydney, um, from Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. Uh, and I always locked everything in Brooklyn Park, locked the doors of my car, locked my garage, locked everything was locked instantly. I got to Sydney and everybody was making fun of me because I'd lock my doors when I hopped out of the car. Like, why do you lock your doors? This is this is a safe place. So Sydney, Montana is a tiny little glimpse of heaven, which is a wonderful there gift. You go. Everyone, no, if everyone moves here, it'll no longer be a tiny glimpse of heaven. It'll be too full of people. <laughs> That God loves and wants to redeem. <laughs> totally yeah. full circle. Yeah, it's, like, you know, yeah, it's the best it's paradise, yeah. but nobody else come. You're not invited. Yeah, because all the good people are already in Sydney, and so nobody else go over there and, and ruin it for them. <laughs> That's a very Montana attitude. I just displayed, isn't it? 
I think the miraculous has happened, my friends. I think we finished chapter 121. Unless anybody's got anything else to add, we got 20 minutes left. So if you can fill it up with chapter 21, we won't have quite finished it for the day. Well, I just want to encourage you with that last line of the chapter that, um, with, I mean, this, uh, your name gets written in the Lamb's book of life when you have faith in the Lamb of God, Jesus. And this is actually a wonderful thing that shows us that we can actually have assurance of salvation, even in the midst of a troubled world, that we still struggle with sin and temptation and falling on our face and, and uh, all of these things where we might question whether we're really saved or whether um, our future is secure in God's hands. But uh, we're told that um, that when we put our trust in Jesus, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So then whatever comes in our future or whenever the Lord takes us home, we can be assured that that our name is in there by faith. And, and so then, um, then we don't need to fear what is to come or to meet the Lord. And, and uh, we don't need to worry about him scrutinizing us and looking at us because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that means you are seen as pure and clean and true and righteous in God's eyes because of Christ. You're clothed with Christ and, uh, and God will not condemn you on that day. And, and if you, any of you um, I have not trusted in God before or um, are worried that your name isn't in that book of life. You are being invited by the, in the book of revelation to put your trust in Jesus, the lamb of God who has paid for your sins. And, and you can have your name written in this book of life as well. And there's a little bit of encouragement too from the letter to the church of Sardis in Revelation 3, 5. To the one who conquers, and if you remember, the one who conquers is the one who has faith in Christ. He will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. Hmm. Such good news. All right, well, let's roll into... Is this for real? Is this for real right now? Yeah. The we're moving into chapter. the last... Guys, we're moving into the last chapter. <laughs> Good, guys. And Everybody I think, give yourself a pat on the back. I think I speak I'm give for, for us all when <laughs> I, I got this message from Shia LaBeouf, too. He told me to play this for all of us. Here it is. Oh. Thanks, Did you go to Penn State with Shia LaBeouf too? Did Shia LaBeouf go to Penn State? I don't know. You... I, can, I can definitively tell you that in a uh, in an auction, I would go for more than him as well. Yeah, n- not even Shia could meet you in that. Didn't Didn't you go to Penn State with somebody famous, other than Robbie Gould? I don't know. In the music Maybe. program. Maybe a girl or something? I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. So I think maybe what you're referring to is Anne Hathaway. That does and, um Anne Hathaway was in All-State Choir with me for a number of years when I lived in New Jersey. 
Like oh. I've sung with Anne Hathaway. My wife actually just gets apps. She's probably in the bedroom dry heaving that I actually told that story because she absolutely is just like, you tell that story too much. And I actually haven't told that story in a while. I know how much Lindsay loves that story. That's why I brought it. that up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are you trying to block us from actually going into the last chapter? Should we talk about? Yeah, this is my filibuster. Uh, this is my filibuster <laughs> into going into the last chapter. Uh, no, I'm just incredibly happy. I mean, how many? This has been over a year, right? It hasn't yeah. been two years yet, but it's no. been over a year. Mm-hmm. Year and a uh, half. That we've well, studied this. Probably. And uh, it's been good. It was September to September would have been a year. And now we're in coming up on april so yeah probably about a year and a half amazing we did it guys so we should try romans next it should take us about as long (laughs) so we have uh we're now going to enter the garden again right Hmm. it's coming back full circle here right we started in the garden in genesis now we're coming back to the garden Hmm. all right let's let's talk about it Chapter 22, the angels showed me the river of the water of life. I have a sneaking suspicion we're not getting any farther than that today. Well, water well, we gotta got to talk about cup. the tree of life, too. Well, that's not in the first verse, Ben. So? Okay, you talk about what it's you part want. of the first sentence. <laughs> It'd be better if I just take the, take the reins off, let you do your thing. Oh, no, I was just... It all kind of goes goes together you know because we have that water of of life as you mentioned you know jesus speaks about giving us living water right and it will uh you know becomes a spring of water wells up into eternal life you know so that that makes a nice connection there you know the brightest crystal pure water flowing from the throne of god oh um hopefully we're back here (laughs) and so so the the river flows through the middle of the street of the city right and on either side of the river the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month and so it's in, so it's really it's interesting because we we maybe think of you know the tree of life from the garden of eden as maybe just kind of sitting somewhere in the garden right singular tree this this kind of gives the idea that um I don't know, like that this tree has kind of grown up on both sides of the of the river, right? So that you have the tree of life on either side. And it's just kind of a neat, I don't know, kind of a neat thing to think about. The 12 kinds of fruit, you know, you can talk about that too. But uh, I thought that was kind of neat. You know, so you have the river, the water of life, you have the tree of life, and now there's no more angel with the flaming sword, right? Blocking the way to the tree of life. Um, it is now open, you know, to all, all people. And God invites us to come and, you know, eat of the tree of life and drink of the water of life without, uh, without end. Right. So that's kind of a neat thing. So here we are back again, you know, paradise lost paradise regained. Right. This reminds me of Psalm 1 as well. And to think about the even the source of the tree of life is the river of 
the water of life, it seems. And when we think of uh, in Psalm 1, the righteous people are the ones who are trees planted by, you know, the stream or the river of water. And we've got roots in the stream. And that's a picture of the word of God giving us life and sustenance. And, and here we see it, the same imagery being used for eternal life. And the one who believes in the word of God, the, particularly the gospel of Jesus Christ, has, has life forevermore. And uh, you're, you're sustained and, and everything eternally through the word of God. Um, and it's, it's wonderful to think of the fact that we are even given that now, those of us who trust in God's word we we have our guarantee of this for but it will last forever yeah is it is it just kind of interesting to think about it like how many you know myths and legends and stories do we hear about you know people searching for the fountain of youth right or trying to find immortality in the things of this world and here we have it essentially the fountain of youth right the water of life the tree of life and here it is found in god's garden through god's redemption not be not to be found anywhere you know on this earth this side of the resurrection but that which has been sought after or you know at least we have in myth and legend that kind of speaks to that longing for eternal life that we that we have kind of built into us right we we kind of have this natural sense that mortality isn't right, <laughs> you know, but here it is. Here's the, the true fountain of youth, the river of life, the tree of life, the source of everlasting life. Just kind of interesting thing. So it's, uh, I haven't really paid attention to this before you really drew our attention to the fact that this tree is growing on either side of the river. Um, that's such an interesting picture. It, there's a similar reference in Ezekiel 47, um, but there are there mentioned multiple trees on either side of the river. Uh, but here we have one tree that's on both sides of the river. And I should go out and take a picture of this tree that's uh, near my house on a farm. And Just it take actually this out right now. Just take now. This out right now. No. It's uh, Let's it would go. take me too long. The episode oh. would be over. But the the tree is like is uh, its roots and its bases uh, over both sides of this stream or whatever. It's pretty cool. Um, see it along the side of the road sometimes. So I should try to get a picture of that and post that for you guys. But are you trying uh, to say that Iowa was where the original Garden yeah. of Eden is, and that's a remnant? Yeah. You should all come here because this is where we're going to be gathered anyway. And um, unlike Mike with Sydney, I do want you to come and join, join me. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, I don't know if there's anything about that picture that we're supposed to gather the one it seems like one singular tree on both sides of the river but that's an interesting picture yeah 
12 kinds of fruit. What do you make of that? Apples, oranges, pineapples, mangoes, papayas, <laughs> durian, pomegranates, durian. Definitely durian. Jackfruit. Durian. You think that durian tastes the same in heaven as it does here on earth, or do you think that gotta taste better? Durian. <laughs> I think I, I mean, it's still going to taste good, but it's not going to cause those burps that smell like death. <laughs> definitely got to taste better. Well, yeah, it definitely can't have the the death scent. Mm. That would be entirely antithetical to you, the new heavens and the earth. Yeah. How how is it that we've gone this long and talked about the river of the water of life and no one has said baptism? Mm. Baptism. You know, it's interesting you point that out because we also read about in verse four, his name will be on their foreheads. Yes. And the there we've heard also about the seal of God's name being on foreheads of the believers in Revelation, but that's also a, a connection to baptism. We usually it's not make, by accident that we make the sign of the cross on the forehead of the baptized. Yeah, as we put water over someone's head, whether they're dunking or whatever, sprinklings cupping water over the it's always going over the head with the name of God being placed on the person. And, um, and we see that, you know, the scriptures tell us that in baptism, not only is faith granted, but so is the Holy spirit and you're sealed with the Holy spirit. And then in Revelation, you're sealed with the name of God on your forehead. All of the imagery is very strong to connect together. So, um, and oftentimes the baptisms would happen in rivers. They didn't have to be by any means. Uh, what was important was water. That's where the promise was. So it could have been from a puddle or a pitcher or a river or a lake or sea or whatever if and the baptism is legitimate if there's huh. water in the name of god but um but oftentimes it was a river we see some of the baptisms happening at rivers and the picture of a river then is flowing water that's not stagnant but it has a especially if it's close to the spring source would you call it living water yeah it would be living water and it would be uh, the idea would be fresh, unlike some rivers that are pretty disgusting and they've picked up lots of junk along the way. But with the picture of it, especially close to the spring and the moving water that doesn't sit stagnant, um, it's, uh, it washes uh, things away and it's seen as being more clean and pure. And what, what's this? There's sayings about rivers, right? You never see the same river twice or something like that, but it's always moving along. And the picture then is washing our sins away, carrying them away from us, I think. But um, always then fresh new water coming in to sustain. And this is a picture of a river that will never dry up. Its spring will never uh, quit giving. And so there will never be a lack of water or in this case life again another connection is the the scriptures talk about the word of god which gives eternal life as being a river 
And then with baptism, we've got the word of God, the promise of God with water. And so that's a way that the promise of God is applied to us. Okay. So Brian has another interesting comment. Going back to the tree of life imagery. So he points out, for example, that the word that is used here is not um, the Greek word dendron, which would typically be more common for tree, but he uses zulon, which is wood. So he sees it as kind of a, this tree, it's a collective thing. So it could be, you know, he suggests it, it could possibly be, you know, like a, you know, even just like a particular species of tree that God used for this purpose. So not like one singular trunk, but almost like a, a wood, a woods, like a forest of this same kind of tree that collectively is the tree of life, the wood of, of life um, that bears fruit and sustains the people of God. And so that was kind of a neat thing. And he suggests, Brian suggests too, that that could be the same in, in the Garden of Eden as well, that it was a collective thing and not just like a singular tree that we tend to think of a singular trunk kind of a thing. But um, so we talk about the, the wood or the woods, you know, it's in a yeah. singular way sometimes, but it's referring to a collection. Yeah. So, so then you kind of get a picture of this river running through a, a forest kind of as it were, and, you know, here are the tree, the forest of life as it were, you know, and you got all the producing the fruit, you know, and so he talks about, you know, the 12 fruits according to each month and the leaves that you're healing for the nations and, it just is like that would that would tie into all the other 12s that we've had and so on you know kind of this picture of perfection when it comes to the people of of god and so on um and it's interesting that you know matt you mentioned the ezekiel passage before but there's but we want to make sure we make that connection of what ezekiel is talking about because some people will say oh ezekiel is talking about a new rebuilt temple this side of the resurrection, you know, you talk about, you know, like physically located in, you know, geographical Jerusalem, this age, right? But that's really not what Ezekiel is talking about. So much of what Ezekiel talks about when he look, when he has his vision of the temple is what we see here in Revelation in the new heavens and the new earth. So Ezekiel sees very similar things, such as a river running from the temple, from the throne of God, as it were, from his presence, right? And we see that right here in Revelation, um, and so, and, and Ezekiel has, as Matt mentioned, those trees that, you know, serve the, the same purpose as the tree of life here in Revelation. And so, um, it's just really kind of a neat, a neat thing, the parallels between those two, but I said that was a neat thing to think about it, like the, the forest of, of life with the river of life running through it from the throne of god all the way through. it was just kind of an interesting so are you trying to say that that tree by my house is not legit and this is not the garden of eden quite the um, opposite he's saying it's too legit <laughs> too legit to quit <laughs> i uh i think that idea of of it being a not just a single tree but kind of a whole whole grove or forest or or wood of these uh trees of life is is really fitting because you think of one tree and the amount of fruit it can produce 
even a, a big tree wouldn't seem like it could provide enough for all of the people that are going to be in eternity. But seeing it as a grove or a bunch of trees, it's this this idea of, of overabundance. Like this life is is never ending. It's never going to stop. It's enough for everybody whose name is in the Lamb's book. And so that's, that is an even more beautiful picture than a single tree. You know, so that's so very the 12 cool. kinds of fruits know. are not growing on one singular tree. They could be. And we should note, there is one thing very conspicuously absent from this garden. Snacks. Something that's there in the first garden that's snakes. not. No. Flying snakes. Hmm. <laughs> Another tree. The tree of snakes. <laughs> 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 the, tr- the tree Sorry, of I'm pretty sure that evil will be in the new heavens and new earth, probably. <laughs> yes, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not present in this garden, and that is good news for us. Right? Are you saying you think we'd still struggle with that? I'm saying that if it was there, <laughs> it would not be good news for us. <laughs> Yeah, we already saw how that went. Building off of, not just from its absence, but building off of the sense that scripture gives us of the new heavens and the new earth is that in that new heavens and new earth, we will be uh, confirmed in righteousness, which means there's no possibility of another fall into sin, which is good news for us. Very good news. So So, can I just point out one last thing? Because I don't know if we're going to try to start at verse six next time, but I don't want to miss this. Snakes will be in the new heavens and new earth. Just no, 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 no. Uh, but in verse, but they four, won't crawl on their bellies. They'll be cats, flying snakes. Maybe Matt, you just have to deal with it. There'll probably be cats. You'll probably be really good friends with a cat in heaven. Oh, so cute. <laughs> Aww. What well, if cats won't be evil anymore? So. <laughs> But you know, it does say there will be no no pickles. There will there no longer will there be no anything to preserve curse. So cats will not be there. No longer will there be anything <laughs> accursed. Yeah, we won't Verse need the three. preservations. There won't be pickles, Matt. <laughs> We're going to be saved, saved from pickles. Is Wait, this you what you wanted to like talk pickles? about to close things up? This is you not like what pickles? I was trying to talk about. <laughs> Well, so okay. What about charcuterie? I I do not. I do not like shelf stable pickles. There are pickled things that I love, just not shelf stable pickles from cucumbers. Back to bed. (laughs) Sorry, Matt. Take us. Okay, I need to gather myself. (laughs) All right. Uh, No, but in verse four, we heard about that his name will be on their foreheads or our foreheads, all of us who believe, but. Let's not skip past the first half of that sentence. They will see his face. And this is such a wonderful thing because up until this point, we have not been able to see the face of God and live because we are sinful people and we can't be in the presence of the holy God. And and any time that God has appeared in the scriptures to sinful people, he's always had to be veiled. Uh, and uh, to to be hidden in something like the burning bush or a cloud or you know a pillar of fire or 
whatever. And now at this time, we will all get to see him face to face. And, and there will be no fear in that either. We will be, there will be nothing but love. And, and uh, again, like God had walked in peace with Adam and Eve before they fell into sin. So we will be able to be in his wonderful, blessed presence. No fear, no shame, um, no guilt over sin anymore because there will be no sin. And, and we can just enjoy all the goodness. Is that not what uh, St. John tells us in his epistle? Yeah. First John 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will, will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. There you have it. Perfect. And John is consistent with himself. <laughs> well, Ben, will you close us up in a word of prayer? Yeah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks uh, for this day that you've given to us, and thanks that we could spend time uh, studying your word. And uh, we just ask that you would continue uh, in your grace and your mercy to make our sin uh, known to us, um, that we may confess that sin and be forgiven uh, by you. And we thank you uh, that we have this blessed hope of the new heavens and the new earth that one day we will uh, be able to drink from the river of the water of life and eat of the tree or the forest of life and that we will be able to see you face to face and so we look forward to that day um, that is our blessed hope but in that hope we Pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. And uh, next week when we gather, we should start with you explaining to us the bayou of forgiveness that you just mentioned in prayer. Mm. Mm. You said something about that God's is... forgiveness, or something about we thank you for the forgiveness by you. So I'm wondering if you could explain this bayou of forgiveness a little bit more. Or... I don't know. I think that was kind of a slip, but that was actually a secret place that only I know about. That, oh, that really because wasn't of your, shared. your heritage? <laughs> is that yeah. where the Ark of the Covenant is, Ben? The bayou of forgiveness? Maybe. <laughs> I 